Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. Drilling Deep is the Freightways podcast where we drill deep into a lot of different things that affect the trucking industry with the price of oil and the price of diesel at the top of the list. Later on, we're going to be joined by Craig Dancer of Marsh, and he's going to talk about the rising price of truck insurance, why it got there and where it's going. But in these crazy times, we're going to start with the price of oil and the price of diesel. Uh, I'm not going to put a number on it because by the time that you actually hear this compared to when I'm recording it, the price of diesel could be very, very different. But as we know, it has been on the way down. It has been on the way down in leaps and bounds that I personally haven't seen for a long, long time. And I've been covering oil markets. I don't know if I've ever seen a drop this rapid. But you know, last week on uh, Drilling Deep, we had my colleague Zach Strickland on the podcast, and he talked about the historic relationship between the price of diesel and the level of freight rates. And he basically found that there was a pretty tight correlation between the two. And while Zach does great work, I can tell you that markets are always subject to what are known as black swans or fat tails. They're both kind of the same thing. A black swan event is one defined as an extremely rare event with severe consequences. The birth of a black swan doesn't have uh, severe consequences, but obviously a black swan is an extremely rare event. Uh, The black swan cannot be predicted beforehand, though many claim it should be predictable after the fact. So it's closely related to, and in fact, might be the same thing as a fat tail. And no, the tail isn't on the swan. Think of a distribution of events. You know, it kind of looks like a rounded mountain. It rises to the top where you have the greatest number of events. Of events. So if you did a distribution of, let's say, the number of women who had babies and you did that distribution by age, you'd have the biggest number somewhere, let's say, in the mid-20s. You know, you might have a few at the age of 14 and you might have a few at the age of 42. But let's just say for one year, a whole bunch of 42-year-old women had babies. If you plotted out those births on that scale, you'd have a fat tail where normally it would have been just declining smoothly. So we've got a fat tail. We've got a black swan and diesel and oil. If you plot out the average price of oil over the last 10 years or so, it's, as I said before, it's it's really like, like nothing we've seen before. As I write this, we're looking at the lowest commodity prices for West Texas intermediate crude and ultra low sulfur diesel since the period between 2002 and 2004 coming off 9-11, which really created demand for a while, took the world a a while to get back out of a recession from that. So this is kind of great news if you're driving a truck. But, you know, let's look at a few other things, both good and bad. First of all, with about as Zach's work, the relationship between diesel prices and freight rates has obviously broken down, at least in terms of dry van rates. That doesn't mean it's never coming back, but we've got a black swan event where demand for oil is collapsing because of the coronavirus, the Saudis are pouring oil into the market in order to harm Russia and possibly destroy the U.S. shale sector. And meanwhile, you've got Americans emptying their shells that now need restocking. So you've got some reports of some lanes hitting two fifty to three dollars per mile or more. I have to say that I don't know that I've ever seen a fatter tail 
than this when it comes to the relationship between diesel and freight rates. They are in, on different planets right now, but that does not mean that they won't align again someday. Enjoy it while you can. It is definitely a nice spread for drivers. But out in the oil patch, it is just a disaster. We know what happened to the price of oil. The price of natural gas was already in depression-like territory. This week, a lot of the companies that operate in the oil patch are talking about cutting capital expenditure budgets by 25% or more for next year. That's fewer wells drilled. That's less sand taken out there. North Dakota is talking about finding ways to keep its oil off the markets. The economics of putting oil into storage works so positively right now. You put it into storage now for, let's say, delivery a year from now, and you, you, you pre-sell that price. It's going to take well more than a year to work off these gigantic inventories if there's some return to normalcy. The shale patch of the United States is under serious assault, and its role as a provider of great blue-collar jobs from working on the rigs to driving the trucks hauling sand for fracking, that is not going to be snapped back anytime soon. Halliburton, just in the last day or two, said it's furloughing 3,500 people in the oil fields. That's just the one I know about. As I do this, there's going to be others. As far as diesel, here's an interesting observation. The price of gasoline has fall, fallen far more than the price of diesel. At the end of February, at on the key commodity market, the CME, the price of unfinished gasoline was about 95% the price of ultra-low sulfur diesel. It's now about two-thirds the price of diesel. So what's this going to mean? It's going to mean that refiners are going to favor producing more diesel, but that's if they operate. Already Marathon this week announced a cutback in operations of one of its refineries due to a lack of demand. That's the big issue here, that the price of gasoline gets so low uh, relative to crude that refineries just take their ball and go home because even though diesel is an extremely important product, you know, just look around the country. This is essentially a gasoline country. So it's hard to imagine any sort of shortage or tight market in any petroleum product these days, but you do have to watch that whole idea of refinery shutting down. Uh, it could be that a bit down the road, the price of diesel relative to crude gets fairly high. The thing is, the price of crude is so low, you're barely going to notice it. I have to say that I think for the trucking industry, what's going on is a net negative. Fuel has always been targeted by companies, particularly the bigger carriers, you know, the, the ones that are traded on Wall Street. Fuel prices are these things that just get passed through using the uh, using the, the fuel surcharge. It isn't a perfect pass through, so lower prices, especially when they're dropping this rapidly, are going to result in some short term windfalls. But you know, even when you add that to the heavy resupply of stores that have driven up dry van rates, and you lay that up against the collapse in the oil patch business, the collapse in the flatbed business that is going to occur as the auto auto industry shuts down. You throw that all together, and I think that the lower price of diesel is small, small comfort. All right, moving on now in drilling deep. I was recently at the Truckload Carriers Association annual meeting in Orlando. That's probably going to be the last gathering of trucking people of any significant size in quite some time. And there was a lot of talk there about insurance, and then they talked about insurance, and then they talked about a little more insurance insurance and the whole issue of nuclear verdicts and what it is doing to trucking insurance rates. And in uh, response to that, also by extension, what it is it doing to trucking capacity was uppermost in a lot of attendees' mind. So I wanted to have a discussion on insurance and who better to do it with than with Craig Dancer. Craig is the National Transportation Industry Practice Leader at Marsh, which is a global insurance broker, and it's a business of Marsh & McLennan, which of course has been around for more than 140 years. 
and describes itself as the world's leading professional services firm in the areas of risk, strategy, and people. So I thought somebody from the outside looking in would uh, would be the per- perfect person to have here on Drilling Deep. So Craig, jo- uh, thanks for joining us. Well, I appreciate you having me here, John. Thanks very much. So let's talk a little bit about what your background is and what Marsh does so we can kind of place you in the in the spectrum of the industry, uh, the insurance industry? Sure. Yeah. No, I've been uh, been here at Marsh for over 20, 20 years. And, uh, you know, Marsh is a, as you said, a professional uh, services firm. We specialize in insurance brokerage. And um, within our expertise, uh, we, we include uh, transportation, which for Marsh uh, includes the both the trucking industry, logistics industries, as well as uh, public transit industries. So, we have a significant number of uh, resources and personnel that are dedicated to this space from a safety perspective, claims perspective, and of course, you know, from an insurance placement perspective. And so I kind of oversee all of those and, and try to just deliver what we can to, to our clients that, that have those needs. All right. So you've been around a long time and the reality of insurance rates is that they do not just in, inevitably and inexorably rise over time, even at just at the rate of inflation. They do go up and they do go down. But what's going on over the past two years, three years, or whatever kind of time frame you want to use, it strikes me as being rather unique and abnormal. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I do agree. And, you know, a lot of it really has to do with, um, you know, you mentioned, you touched on nuclear verdicts. Um, that's not, I think that's the headline grabber. But underlying it, it's really, there's a number of factors involved, um, you know, some of which is, you know, very dry actuarial discussions. Uh, but yes, I would agree. Over the last really three to four years, the trucking industry has really been faced with some significant headwinds as it pertains to to insurance costs. All right, and let's let's talk. Let's get a little actuarial though, because it's been very much in the news recently about low low interest rates. Interest rates were low. Now they're about rock bottom. How much does that impact insurance rates? Yeah, it's pretty significant, John. The, you know, really, when you think about sort of the the insurance business model. Um, you know, at the very least, you know, you've got a lot of capital uh, paid in by a premium that insurance companies have to put to use uh, to pay for future claims, pay for the keep the lights on to pay their employees. But you think about the bulk of the premium, it's really intended to ultimately pay claims at the end of the day. And so what 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 has tr- traditionally been the the underwriting model is, you know, you could take that that premium, you know, that, you know, 70, 75% of that premium, it gets invested, it gets a fairly decent rate of return. um, And, and based on, you know, safe investments, but in the last, you know, really four to five years where we've had near zero uh, interest environment, you know, those rates of return have really been insignificant. So when you think about, okay, I have to get back to traditional underwriting, you actually have to be able to make money based on the actual risk that you're uh, underwriting in and of itself. So, for example, over the last decade, really, you think about commercial auto generally. So that includes not just our trucking uh, industry, but it includes, you know, really any large commercial fleets uh, that are in the business side. I mean, that industry has been losing money uh, over over a decade now. So I think on average, you're probably seeing about for, for basically every dollar taken in in premium, you know, insurance companies are paying out a dollar and eight cents in, in, in claims. And if you think about just the last year, Despite years of increased uh, rates, uh, the trucking industry still posted around 120% uh, combined ratio, which again means for every dollar of premium, a dollar and twenty were paid out in claims and and costs. So it's it's been pretty it's been a pretty uh, tough road to hoe in these last last few years for the trucking industry. 
Now, so that's 120, you referred to General Auto, but you also indicated that does include trucking. Trucking's under that umbrella? Correct. So if you look at trucking, I mean, if you just look at General Auto all, you know, across the board, which would include all, all fleets of all kind that are associated with business use, yeah, that I think the 10-year average is probably somewhere around 108%. Trucking- and that's obviously not sustainable. No, no. I mean, you know, how many businesses have you been? Do you know that for for ten years that you know we'll, we'll just keep we'll just keep losing money. We'll just keep losing money. It doesn't work. And so at a point in time, you know, the you know operations, insurance operations have you know effectively say, oh, look, I mean, this has got to be a going concern. We can't continue to lose money. Um, and I think what's really accelerated this issue, John, is that. You know, really, over the last 12 months, it's it's now, you know, the, the the whole issue about rate adequacy has really spread across all industries. So it's not simply just trucking liability insurance; it's general casualty insurance, it's it's property insurance. I mean, every it's it's directors and officers insurance. So you're seeing an industry wide just seismic change in terms of what what we're seeing. Uh, in relative terms to the history of, of, you know, how rates have changed. I mean, as you said, rates go up, rates go down, but we, we've hit a point in the last 12 months where there's just been an extreme acceleration in what we're seeing and just rate growth. It's rare that you see anything where a year-over-year change has resulted in a reduction. Yeah, and so you've got this weak foundation that you just described, and on top of that, you've had the nuclear verdict. So let's go back to kind of the original premise, and I think everybody in the trucking industry that's moaning about high insurance rates, they kind of blame the whole thing on nuclear verdicts. So you certainly see that as a factor, but it's not the only one. But how big a factor is it? Yeah, I think, you know, it's a bigger factor if you're thinking about probably the larger transports out there, the guys that are, you know, publicly traded or have significant fleets and they're, you know, they're having to buy a lot of excess liability limits. So, you know, if you're if you're a family-owned trucking company and, you know, you're really, you're maybe buying a few million dollars worth of insurance, uh, at the end of the day, you're feeling some pain, but you're not feeling the kind of pain that some of these larger companies are experiencing. Because again, it's these nuclear verdicts, you know, when you see a 25, 30, 100, $200 million verdict out there, um, you know, and you're buying $100 million worth of insurance, you're probably historically you've been buying it probably just from four or five providers. That means that those providers have had, you know, whether they paid a $25 million claim, $50 million claim, and and the speed at which you've seen these nuclear verdicts hit the trucking industry, you know, some of these insurance companies, um, you know, they're paying two or three, you know, a month of these nuclear type verdicts. You then overlay that with what you've seen on the the Roundup, uh, you've seen wildfires, you've seen talcum powder, you've seen these shootings in parking lots where there's 80, 90 million dollar verdicts. So that's where I'm saying it's it's now come to the point where transportation has been unfortunately I think singled out, but at the end, but in recent time it's it's now hitting the rest of the industry and we're now starting to see this cascading effect in terms of these rates and the impact of nuclear verdicts. I'm going to ask you to be a little more of a sociologist here and less of an insurance person. What happened? Lawsuits aren't new. Verdicts aren't new. But what's exploded in the last, again, I don't know how many time, how much of a time frame you want to put on it. I know I heard somebody kind of say it started in 2012. I don't know how you can be so precise, but <laughs> you can see the last few years have certainly been significantly different. What happened? Yeah, and and I think you know you're right. I mean, in terms of where I sort of gauge it, it really happened around 13, 14, and um, you know, I think 
what, what you see is a, a general societal change. And, and I'm not going to blame any one generation, but if you think about a generation that's grown up with athletes making hundred million, hundreds of millions of dollars in these contracts, you've seen billion dollar lotteries, you see trillion dollar budget, you know, budgets from our federal government. Um, you know, a million bucks just doesn't seem like a whole lot of money anymore, does it? I mean, in relative terms. And, and well, I'm going think- to date, date myself here and quote Everett Dirksen, who was the minority leader of the Senate years ago, and he'd, he'd say a billion dollars here, a billion dollars there. Before you know it, you're talking about real money. Absolutely. And, and that's really what it's coming down to. I think the other thing is you've got sort of this, so you have that backdrop. And then the other backdrop you have is just sort of this more sympathetic, I think, mindset. Um, you know, society, you know, likes to likes to reward a victim or likes to make a victim whole. And, you know, what better than to 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 put the insurance company on trial and say, look, yeah, it's a trucking company that hit it. And, you know, that that ha- that may have been involved in this accident. But, you know, they've got this insurance company. They're not really, you know, so the trucking company is really not paying for this. It's really an insurance company. Who, who likes insurance companies, right? So I think there's part of that. The other thing is for the bigger guys, you know, the, the large public company guys, I mean, you, you look at the younger generation today, and apparently it's 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 evil to make billions of dollars. Apparently, we're not supposed to do that anymore as a society. We're not supposed to be successful. So if you have a plaintiff, if you have a plaintiff's attorneys up there, and you've got a defendant who's a public company, look at that defendant. They made a you know four billion dollars last year. You know we're not asking for much. I mean that that won't even mean anything to them if we pay these guys you know twenty, thirty, forty million of dollars. So again, it, it, it's really how society is now viewing what success is versus what isn't success and what should be punished and what shouldn't be punished. So I think that's a lot of what the root of this is. You know, I, I mentioned at the start of this that I was at the uh, TCA meeting, the Truckload Carriers Association annual meeting in Orlando last week or two weeks ago. And uh, a lot of criticism, I sat in on one session about nuclear verdicts and there was a lot of criticism it's hard to say who it was leveled at, whether it's insurance companies or lawyers, but just saying that it, they felt that insurance companies and lawyers for the trucking companies were nowhere near as well prepared as the uh, as the as the attorneys for the plaintiffs, for the attorneys for the company, the people that are suing the trucking companies. That they all work together, they they plan months and months in advance. The whole idea on the insurance side is to hold down your legal costs. I mean, it was a pretty sweeping indictment. And and I'm going to ask you to react to it, even though you probably didn't hear it. But <laughs> you probably heard the criticism in general uh, over, over, the, over the years or maybe even over the last year. What would you say to that? Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I've, I've certainly I have a number of clients that, um, you know, are, are large truckers and have been involved in these kinds of cases. And I, and I will say, you know, being on the ground and trying to work with them, work with my clients and try to, to manage this type of litigation. You're absolutely right. I mean, you see some of these firms out there and, and they're investing, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in creating a pretty much a Hollywood style production so that when they get in front of a jury, yeah, they're very well prepared in terms of just the sympathetic story that they can tell about this plaintiff and how their life was changed. And so, you know, and at that point, you know, facts really don't mean anything, you know, I mean, it's almost like you could take a case to a jury, even if it was the the plaintiff, which in, in many instances is truly at fault or has contributed over 50% of the fault of the accident. But the fact that these juries are so willing to listen and get drawn into these sort of Hollywood style productions, 
And then you've got the judges and the judges are just as culpable because, look, the judge is ultimately the arbiter of what goes on in a courtroom. Uh, a client of mine that a recent case where, you know, they had evidence that a guy where they were basing the damages of this guy who was a, formerly a truck driver, he couldn't work anymore because he was injured in an auto accident. I mean, the guy hadn't had his CDL license for 10 years, but my client wasn't able to admit that. The judge wouldn't allow it. So, I mean, you're blackboarding, you know, damages based on something that's a fabricated lie. And it's a known lie that you could prove, but the judge wouldn't allow it into evidence. So, I mean, the deck is totally stacked against uh, defendants now. I mean, in terms of, you know, these larger cases. And that's the other thing. I mean, you know, why would I want to settle? Why would I, why as an attorney, would I agree to settle as a plaintiff's attorney, knowing that if I'm going to go to trial, I'm going to get a very favorable outcome. So again, that's another reason that's driving these costs is that, you know, it's hard to predict what a $50,000 case would have been 10 years ago, what that would be today, uh, just because of the the price of inflation. Well, what are you, what are your clients doing? And this has been so radical and and so, uh, so sort of industry changing that I can't imagine this business as usual. So when you sit down with your clients, uh, what do you tell them? How should they act differently? How should they operate differently than they would have before this uh, this change, which is a change on many fronts, sociological and insurance-wise and financial, et cetera? Yeah. So some of it's just really fundamental stuff. Um, you know, one of the things that the plaintiff attorneys really like to harp on is, you know, they, they look at these trucking companies and they look at their safety policies. And, you know, if there's certain things in your safety policies that go beyond what the uh, the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, DOT mandate, you know, you better make sure that you're enforcing those things. Um, because really, at the end of the day, those are the Achilles heels that a lot of these claims get uh, really focused on is that the fact that there was a lapse in enforcement of XYZ policy. So that's 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 a very foundational thing that we tell our, our, our clients to really look at. Uh, other things you want to look at is really like how are you handling the claim once it occurs? How quickly are you reaching out to the to the to the plaintiff to the and and really start having a dialogue? I mean, if you know you're at fault, uh, you know there's no point in you know cha- you know having a six month argument about liability when you know you're at fault. So just go cut to the chase and just really see if you can intervene very quickly before they even get an attorney and try to settle these things out. So there's a lot of things that you have to do pre you know kind of pre loss and post loss that can, that you can try to mitigate the the the, the amount of damages and and try to keep yourself out of a out of a, a court case. I uh, I did a, a session of videos at the annual users meeting of Smart Drive last uh, last June, I believe, in Atlanta. And of course, they're known for the cameras in the trucks. Does, is that kind of equipment, not just that, but other kind of safety-related equipment becoming more popular as something used to kind of ward off a really big verdicts? And if you've got that sort of thing, it can possibly mitigate the final ver- verdict? Yeah. I mean, you know, truck fleets that can do this. And again, I mean, these are pretty much your your, your employee-based drivers. I mean, you can, you can implement all sorts of, you know, all sorts of technology, just a ma- it's a matter of cost. Uh, but certainly inward, outward facing cameras are extremely helpful. Collision, advanced collision mitigation uh, on the trucks, lane departure. Uh, now there's lane centering technology. I mean, these are, these are some really fantastic tools that can be used um, to help keep, keep, you know, prevent in the first place the accident. But then if you have the accident, you can at least Say, hey, look, I've invested in, I've invested as a company in every single bit of technology, and unfortunately, we still have a human being sitting in that front seat. And until that point, that human being is either is either perfect and can never fail, or you know, ultimately, you know, we have 
computer-assisted driving that will assist the driver in, in, in avoiding those kinds of claims, those kinds of situations. You're right. I mean, I think you companies really should be looking into every piece of technology. But John, at the end of the day, it's the driver that's ultimately responsible. So, I mean, I think companies really should focus on their driver recruitment and driver training, because at the end of the day, you can have all the fancy equipment in your truck that you can possibly buy. But if you have a, if you don't have a very good driver in that seat, you're just putting yourself at risk. So you really want to focus on that driver and how, how experienced that driver is and, and how trained he is or she, and, and make sure that they're, they're that, that they're consistently being coached if there are issues uh, that, that show some lapse in judgment. How big an issue is distracted driving on the part of not just the truck drivers, but also the other drivers on the road that uh, that a driver has to contend with? I think statistically, it's either the number one or number two cause of accidents out there right now. And uh, I agree. I think the issue that you run into uh, is probably more so on the, the, the motoring public as opposed to the truck driver. I mean, there's obviously a lot of regulations in place uh, as far as hands-free and distracted driving uh, in the truck space. But, you know, we're not regulated like that in just, you know, the private auto sector, unfortunately. Yeah, they tell you to use hands-free, but I mean, I, I, you see people on their cell phones, you know, hands, not, you know, texting and whatever all the time. So I think that the real issue is, is when you combine distracted driving with the poor level of infrastructure, you know, the poor state of our infrastructure, I think that it's a, it's just a recipe for disaster. And I think that's, the, that's the reason why we're seeing such an increase in, in, fa- in fatalities on the highway and that's also a primary reason why attorneys are, are, are using that as a, um, as a as weaponized uh, against the trucking companies. Well, let's make a date in, I don't know, six months, a year to have you back on Drilling Deep, Craig. And we'll see. Of course, hopefully we'll be all out of quarantine by then. <laughs> um, but, uh, but then uh, we'll see if things got any better. I don't know. That's, that's not a kind of short period of time for such a significant change. But uh, we do want to thank Craig Dancer for joining us today on Drilling Deep. Craig is with Marsh. He is the uh, he is the leader of the, the the national transportation industry practice leader there. They're a global insurance broker. I want to thank all of you for joining us here on Drilling Deep. We are part of the Freightcast family of podcasts from Freight Waves. Please join us again. I'm John Kingston.